Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The Hispanic community is the nation's largest racial and ethnic minority. It's time health research included your voice. That's why the All of Us research program exists. If you participate in All of Us, not only would you help your community, you can also receive your free genetic ancestry trait results. With this information and more, researchers may be able to conduct a variety of studies about health and diseases that affect the Hispanic community. Visit joinallofus.org slash your health to contribute. Again, joinallofus.org slash your health. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something, trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, My goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions, and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm so happy to have you here. Today's episode is about boundaries. I have had so many of you ask me about boundaries and just how to deal with boundaries, how to make boundaries, how to have boundaries in all different types of relationships that we have in our lives. And I think it's really relevant at this stage of our lives because we're getting to a point now where there are relationships that maybe aren't worth having or maybe are worth working on in a way that we can set those boundaries and have better relationships with those people. So I pulled back on here One of my favorite guests, Maisie Robinson, because she was so wonderful and everybody loved her episode. I got a lot of feedback on her episodes and she's just so wonderful to talk to. So just a little bit about Maisie and then we're going to get right into the interview. Maisie Robinson is a licensed professional counselor and speaker specializing in helping women discover their true voice as they navigate self-worth, self-esteem challenges, relationship concerns, and life stage transitions. In addition to her work as a therapist, Maisie maintains an active speaking schedule presenting workshops on topics such as anxiety, healing, healthy relationships, personal growth, and purposeful living. She is also a certified Daring Way facilitator presenting workshops and retreats based on the research and methodology of Dr. Brene Brown to individuals and groups. I don't know if you've listened to Brene Brown, but she's amazing and I need to listen to a lot more about her. Actually, Maisie was the one who brought her up to me for the first time. Anyway, Maisie is the founder and director of Cultivate through its counseling center and by monthly gatherings. Cultivate encourages women to cultivate joy, courage, and freedom in their lives as they pursue emotional, mental, and spiritual health. Maisie resides in Atlanta, Georgia with her husband and two sons. She is an avid Fred's fan, who isn't, loves dinner on a porch with friends, and is passionate about telling women why they are loved and worthy. And she really, really does do that. She's so genuine and so lovely. And I'm so happy to have her back on the show. I just want to mention a couple of small things to you. Please share my show with your friends and ask them to subscribe. The more women that hear about the show, the more women that we can help. Also, um, I'm putting together a bunch of exciting things. We're going to do a live group. If you haven't been invited to Clubhouse, I urge you to get an invite to Clubhouse. I'm doing, I'm hosting a bunch of shows on there where you can actually interact, raise your hand through your phone and talk to me. And they're so interesting. So I'm out of invites right now, but hopefully I'll have more soon. In addition to that, I'm also working more on my Wise Women series. So if you want to nominate a woman over 50 that you think would be a great guest on the show, please let me know. I am so excited 
about today's episode with Maisie Robinson, who was on my, uh, I think, God, maybe my third episode. And it was such a hugely popular episode. Um, It spoke to so many women. And Maisie, welcome back. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I loved our conversation last time. It was just a highlight for me. And uh, so I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me. So first of all, today's topic is is just, you know, and I knew you were the perfect person to talk to about this because I had so many emails from women saying, you know, what do I do about boundaries at the stage of my life? And, you know, boundaries don't relate to just one relationship. I also think, you know, even in doing my own work, that boundaries are just something I've been learning in my early 40s. It's something that I've never tackled before. And and thankfully to a good therapist, she has almost given me permission to have boundaries where in the past you feel a lot of guilt about having boundaries. I think this topic is so widespread. I hope that we're able to cover it for everybody. But, you know, I think I think the first question is, what are characteristics of a healthy relationship? Because I don't think that, I don't know that everybody knows what exactly a healthy relationship is because because every relationship has something. Oh, yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I don't think we have a good working definition of what a healthy relationship is. I think we have a lot of thoughts on it and, and opinions on it, but there's a lot of myths and misnomers out there about what healthy relationships are. You know, I think for a lot of people, particularly if they grew up in a family like this, they, they see enmeshment as health, you know, like we have the same thoughts, we have the same opinions, we have the same feelings, we do everything together. They see that as health. I think a lot of people think that mind reading is the sign of a healthy relationship. Like you should just know how I feel, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you should be able to anticipate my needs. And I am hurt that you have not anticipated my needs. I may or may not have said that a few times (laughs) to my husband. (laughs) (laughs) And those are things, right? But they're not necessarily characteristics of a healthy relationship. And so characteristics of a healthy relationship, I think First and foremost, there has to be a sense of security in the relationship, and we build security through trustworthiness. And so being trustworthy, following through with what you say you're going to do, that's kind of the basic definition of being trustworthy. I think also just a mutual mutuality, mutual commitment, mutual care, a mutual investment in the love bank account, um, so to speak, like we're both investing time, we're both investing care, we're both making space for one another in each other's minds and schedules and thoughts and so forth and so on. I think reciprocity is really important, which kind of goes with that idea of, of the mutuality. But, you know, there is give and take and there may not be totally equal give and take. There may be seasons where I need more. And so you're giving more, but it's not one-sided, you know, where you're always giving and I'm always taking. So that reciprocity is really, really um, important. Vulnerability is a very important part of a healthy relationship. If you don't feel comfortable being vulnerable in in a relationship, sharing your feelings, sharing your thoughts, even sharing something kind of as basic as your opinion, no, I don't want to go there for dinner. I'd prefer to go here. If you don't feel comfortable doing that in the relationship, there's really not going to be a lot of connection in the relationship. And the idea of vulnerability and trustworthiness kind of go hand in hand because we feel more comfortable being in relationships where we feel more safe, where we trust the person more. But at the same time, trust is always a risk. So we always kind of have to take that risk of vulnerability, kind of dip our foot in the pond to see if, oh, is this warm? Is this cold? Is this hot? And and to take that risk and being vulnerable. And sometimes the risk will bear some good fruit. And, and sometimes we may get hurt. And just knowing that the risk of possibly being hurt, taking that risk is really important because being alone and guarded and walled off is actually a more miserable way to live. It is actually worse for us than the possibility of being hurt. And then I would also say communication 
you know, learning to communicate directly. One of the things that research shows is that women have a tendency to communicate indirectly. Because we communicate indirectly, we can kind of understand what one another is saying there. But because men have a tendency to communicate directly, we in in male female relationships we end up missing each other because we say no i'm not hungry i don't think i want anything and so then when the man in our life goes and gets a sandwich and we're like but you didn't get me any chips you didn't <laughs> say you wanted chips <laughs> right and so i think i think learning to communicate directly learning to to speak our needs to speak again our thoughts feelings our opinions is is really important and then lastly elasticity there has to be room in a relationship for each person to grow and evolve and change and that one can feel really scary for us because we met somebody one way and we want them to stay that way to some degree. But adulthood, no matter what stage you're in in adulthood, uh, has to be about growth and development. And so giving one another space to grow and evolve and change. Oh my God. That, that's, all. I mean, as a, as a woman who's been married for almost 18 years, I hear all of those things you're saying, and I think yeah. I'm failing at every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny because I think women are in general, and, I, and and my husband always says I, I generalize sometimes, but I think overall women are very take charge and somewhat controlling because we're very competent. And especially when it comes to our home and our family, we like to to run the household. And, 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 and so we end up, one of the things I've learned over the years is I used to just kind of take everything on because I couldn't deal with anybody not doing it right. And so over the years, I've given up that control a little bit. And, and it's really been great because in a way that is a boundary. I mean, I, I just saying like, oh, you know, there's no dinner on the table. I guess we don't eat tonight. You know, if I'm at, like, I was at work and I came home and, you know, my husband didn't make anything or didn't think of anything. So I think, um, I think learning to give up that control sometimes is really difficult, but I think it's really important because you're setting these rules. If I could tell any newly married woman, this advice, I would, this is what I would tell you is like, don't, don't enable it right now. <laughs> start out, start out being as equal as possible. Yes, exactly, exactly. There's a story that I sometimes tell about my my husband and I. We had gotten home from our honeymoon, and uh, we were doing uh, like I had done. I put the dirty clothes in the washer and dryer, and, and so we were folding clothes. Now we had been married like you know two weeks <laughs> at this point, and. He started folding the towels a different way than I fold the towels. And I started to say something like, no, it, it, do it this way. They fit better in the, in the cabinet. And I stopped myself because I thought, you know, this is a crossroads moment in, in our marriage because I can correct him and have it done the way that I think it should be done. Or I could just be grateful that it's getting done. And is this a, a hill that I really want to die on? You know, so I think it's, it's an interesting thing that we fall into as women because we are, you know, we're great multitaskers. You know, research shows that our brain is wired for multitasking, whereas men's brains just aren't. There's just a gender difference there. And we are high capacity and, and high capability. And there is that control part of like, well, this is the best way to do it. But I think what can be helpful in digging deeper into that control part is for us as women to really own and acknowledge Yes, I do like things done a certain way, but there is an inner core belief that me doing for others makes me lovable. Like if, if I do create this beautiful home and if I do cook these elaborate dinners and if I take care of everyone and everything, then they, they will love me. They will have to love me because I have earned that love and then they won't leave me. They won't, they won't reject me. And so that's something that I talk a lot about with clients of just getting honest. Like, do you believe that you are lovable even if you don't bring anything to the table? so to speak? Or are you trying to earn that love in your relationships by over-functioning and trying to be in control of everything and trying to prove your worth? And so it's an, the control thing is just an interesting element that I think we struggle with. And then by the way, then you know what happens after we do all that? 
we lose our minds. Excuse my language. We lose our shit. We blow up on the family. My my family's joke with me is, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I literally just like, I'm done. And I walk out of the room and nobody appreciates me and I do everything around here. And so that's what happens. So it is a little empowering to let go of some of those things. And and when you, it's very hard too, if you're a person that's never been like that, but the minute you the minute you do let go of just one thing and you start slowly, so one thing at a time, for me, it was dinner. So if my husband was in charge of ordering out even, he'd be like, I'm not going to, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, if you ask me what I want one more time, I'm going to scream. I make decisions all day at work. I make decisions for this entire household. Just get dinner. And he said to me, and he says, and he said it a few times, the problem is no matter what I get you, you're not going to like it. And then you're going to say something. And then it's just like, what's the point? You might as well have an opinion. So I had to learn. Well, this is very funny, actually. So I had to learn to say nothing when he or made dinner. Uh, you know, He made dinner the other night and um, he made the spinach salad and they were like small spinach leaves and he chopped the spinach leaves. <laughs> I can't tell you how much it bothered me because they were like, you, like, you don't chop spinach leaves. I and mean, they, they were just as it was. I didn't say a word. I, it was delicious. So with takeout or whatever, he'd get food and I'd say, great, thank you, honey. But then he'd get me something <laughs> that like I've never eaten in my life that I, I with like six things in it that I don't like. And this is a very long-term relationship. And in my head, I'd be fuming because I'd be like, does he not eat, know me at all? I don't even understand. How does he? But I kept my mouth shut. It's very hard to do. It's very hard to do. It is. And something like that, um, this is something I talk about with clients a lot, this particular thing, because something like that, it almost feels like a love wound. Like, how could you not know that I don't like walnuts on my salad? You know, like, how do you not know me? You know, like it, it feels like an, an injury, you know, and and there is some legitimacy to that. Like, well, gosh, we have been together 18 years. You've never seen me eat a walnut, you know, sort of thing. But I think the other part of it is we do have to take responsibility for ourselves and and own the choice. So if our choice is, you know, and this it sounds like exactly what you, the conclusion you came to in your own life, that if the choice is I'm not going to decide, you decide for me, then that's our choice, you know, otherwise we have to think I want a hamburger. Okay. I'm going to tell him I want a hamburger, you know, and that can be a hard shift to begin to make of, okay, I have to own my choice. And so if I didn't speak up, I have to own that. Otherwise I need to begin practicing speaking up, even if I feel tired, even if my decision fatigue is really high, which is a very real thing, particularly for women. And I know you're the expert here, but my, my advice again, would just be start with one thing so that, that if you are, if you're a controlling woman that, that is used to sort of just not dealing you know, when somebody isn't doing something right and just being like, I'll, I'll just do it, which, which so many of my friends do. I think it's starting with one small thing. And for me, that was that. Now let's get into boundaries because boundaries affect us in every relationship. I I've had, oh God, I've had, I've had so many friends recently dealing with boundaries with their parents. You know, our parents are in that 70 to 80 range and, um, it's starting to get, we're slowly getting into that stage of, not parenting them because they're not quite old enough, but but having to make some decisions for them or, or um, encouraging them to make decisions. But also, I think there are boundaries with our partners. I think there are boundaries with friends. I think in this pandemic, many of us have um, kind of seen people in a different light. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but I have and have sort of felt like, hmm, you know what, that, that relationship is not that important to me. And how do I, you know, how do I put boundaries with that? And then, and I think the other thing people are struggling with boundaries are with their kids uh, right now, because we are with them all the time. And we're almost a year into this pandemic and our children now sort of just expect us to be there all the time. <laughs> and I'm realizing that with my kids, when I said I, I was going to go to an outdoor restaurant with a friend tonight for like the first time, and I don't even know how long. And my kids are like, what? 
Like where, what, what's, I mean, what's going to happen with dinner? I'm like, you have another parent at home. He's home. Remember? I mean, it's just, so anyway, what, what exactly are boundaries and, and what do they look like in our lives? This is such an important topic because you're right. You know, COVID is this disease that affects our physical health, but it is fascinating how much it has impacted our relationships over the past year. I mean, everyone I know, they have had a relationship impacted by COVID or the election. I, I think the the combo of those two things have been really tough on, on relationships. And so people are kind of stepping back and going, ooh, let me recalibrate who I want in my life and who I feel a genuine connection to. And sad but true, I think COVID has been a an season and opportunity for people to realize, wow, I don't I don't think I need all these people in my life. I, I miss being around people, but I don't think I need to try to keep in touch with 20 different people. The five that I've kept in touch with in COVID are just fine. So it's, it's interesting how it's impacted our relationships. But yes, boundaries. This is another topic where there are a lot of myths about boundaries and we're often not really sure what boundaries are. And so then we're not really sure how to set them or how to go about communicating them. So boundaries show where I end and you begin. They help us see what's my part, what's within my control, and and they help us see what is your part, what is within your control. And the way that I like to think of boundaries, boundaries are not a wall. So when we talk about setting boundaries in relationships, we're not constructing a wall and I've put this wall up and the relationship is over. Boundaries does not necessarily imply disconnection. I like to think of boundaries as a fence with a gate. And sometimes we close the gate and sometimes we open the gate. And the purpose of the fence with the gate and the purpose of boundaries, it's to keep us safe. It's to keep us emotionally safe. It's to keep us mentally well. And depending on how we're feeling, depending on what the other person is choosing to do, we may feel comfortable opening the gate and we may feel the, the need to close the gate, but it's a fence with a gate. It's not a wall. And so what would be some examples of boundaries? So boundaries might be deciding to only talk to a parent before five o'clock in the afternoon if that parent has a problem with drinking. Because you know, if you talk to the parent at eight o'clock at night, it's just going to spiral into an ugly argument. So a boundary might be, I'm only going to call mom before five o'clock. Um, a boundary could be changing how you interact with someone. Um, I, I don't have to text this person every day. I don't have to give in to that false guilt. Um, it could be changing your expectations of someone. You know, this person has shown me consistently that he or she does X. So why am I expecting something different. I need to change my expectations of this person and calibrate myself accordingly. A boundary could be speaking your needs. You know, I I do not need walnuts on my salad. Please stop giving me the salad with walnuts. Um, A boundary could be deciding not to talk about certain topics with certain people. I think, again, we saw a lot of that with the, with the election so again, boundaries do not necessarily mean disconnection. Boundary, we put boundaries in place to keep the relationship as safe as possible for us. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind, that boundaries are about keeping you safe. They're not actually about changing the other person, which is what I think a lot of us think about when we think of boundaries. I'm going to put this boundary in place and it is going to force you to change. Now, the person may change as a result of the boundary, but the purpose of boundaries is not to change the other person. The purpose of the boundaries is to keep us safe, to help us control what we can control. So the example that I always like to give with this, because it's one that's easy to see, let's say that you have a partner who drinks too much, and often drinks too much when y'all go out to eat. And so for a lot of people, they may think a boundary is saying, you can't drink when we go out to eat. But that's not actually a boundary because we can't control another person. The only person thing that we can control is ourselves. So a boundary is not, you can't drink when, when we go out to eat. A boundary is, if you choose to drink, I am going to Uber home by myself. Or if you choose to drink, I am going to drive home 
and you can Uber home because we're controlling what we can control. We're controlling the behavior that we can control, which is our own behavior, which leads to the the next important thing about boundaries that we don't always think about, that we don't like to think about. Boundaries are going to impact us before they impact the other person. This is why we often don't like to set boundaries because as I see it, like, like uh, he drinks too much. So he's the problem. So he needs to change. Why should I be inconvenienced and have to bring my car keys or, you know, call an Uber or drive myself home late at night? Why do I have to be inconvenienced? And that's where a lot of people get stuck in setting boundaries. And because they don't set boundaries, they actually end up enabling the behavior that is hurting them. But again, we have to remember we can only control our selves. And so we do have to find a way to get over that hurdle of recognizing, wow, I know I need to set this boundary because this unhealthy behavior continues to happen in my relationship, but gosh, it's going to impact me first. And ugh, that does not feel good, but I know it's the healthy choice. Would you say that a, a reaction is a kind of boundary? Rather, the the lack of reaction to something with somebody. I may or may not have a parent <laughs> who got divorced many, 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 many years ago. I was nine years old. And I have sort of been put in the middle of the turmoil and angst and hate and whatever for my entire life. And I always engaged in it, you know, in a negative way. But like, I don't want to hear that. Like, stop. Like, uh, blah, blah, blah. my brother typical man in some ways has, you know, just sort of go, okay, all right, whatever, mom, and just kind of walks away. And for years, it pissed me off because I was like, why do I get it all? Why do I get it all? And it was, it was somebody who pointed out to me, you're reacting, you know, and I think it was part of being a mom too. You know, you do this with your children, but you're, you're feeding the animal every single time they're bringing this up. You're giving them what they want to hear. And, and, if you do what your brother does and just kind of brush it off and change the subject, you know, they can't do that anymore. And I started to do that a few years ago. And wow, I mean, I, I wish someone told me this earlier in life. And and I think my mom actually respects it. You know, I said, Mom, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So anytime you bring dad up, I'm just gonna change the subject because I, I I won't be a part of this anymore. And that's what I do. I really just ignore it. And so for me, that was a really hard boundary to do because I was trained my whole life to listen to it and and be that. So yes, I think that is a wonderful example of a boundary and it 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 makes that point of we can control only ourselves, you know? Yes, you wanted your mom to to stop talking about all of that, but that was her choice and quite frankly, her right. And if she wanted to talk about it all day long, that's fine. But you had to make the choice of, do I want to listen? And what am I going to do to change the pattern in our, in our relationship where I'm no longer in the position of listener. And so, yes, just saying, you know, setting that boundary with your mom of, you know, mom, I I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to hear about dad. I want us to have a relationship between us that isn't based on this angst. And so I'm going to start changing the conversation. I think that's a wonderful way to handle those situations because, What can happen in relationships where somebody is doing something that we don't like or somebody is doing something that's hurting us, we do start to feel trapped in the relationship. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get them to stop. I don't see any way out. I'm just, I'm going to die listening to this person complain. Yeah, it's you know, like a, it's like a merry-go-round. You just keep going round, right. round, 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 and there's no end. <laughs> right. And, and we have to take that hard, long look in the mirror and go, okay, what is my part here? Yes, I don't want to hear this person talk about this. Yes, I am upset that this person drinks too much, but what is my part? My part is that I keep staying at the dinner table and I get in the car with them after he's had too much to drink. My part is that I engage in the conversation. Okay, so let me change what I can control, which is my reaction. That's such a good example of that. Right. And you know what? Uh, this is for my listeners. 
When you start to do this, you know, the point of this podcast is is how do we make these changes right now so that the next part of our lives are lived in a content and happy, the happiest way possible. If you start to make these changes now, you still have time, whether it's a parent or a husband or child or whatever it is, you know, and, and just going back to the parent thing, and we won't make it all about parents because I know we're, I want to get into husbands and children and partners, but our parents don't have that many years left. And so I really, truly want to have, make sure our relationship is as good as possible. Some people don't have that luxury because they have a parent who just is so far gone that they won't be able to ever do that. So in that case, I think the boundary is just solely for yourself. It's not about your relationship. It's just taking care of you. But if you're able to have that boundary with your parent and they're able to understand it, it's really wonderful because it makes a relationship so much stronger. And I do find in my 40s that I'm starting to communicate with my parents in a way that, and I do it in a gentle way. It's not like, I, you know, when I was a teenager and I was like, you do this and that, blah, blah. you know, I'm actually having adult conversations and I start them out with, listen, I know that you've been doing this your whole life, or I know that you didn't mean to do this and you love me. However, I really want our relationship to be better and I want this to change exactly what you just said. So what's an example of a boundary with a friend for, for, I think a lot of women, I think before COVID, the biggest thing I heard from women was like too much, like there's just too much keeping up with everybody. There are too many things I'm involved in, you know, I'm asked to do too many things. I think, I think COVID was an amazing, I feel like it, it really helped those women to take a step back and be like, whoa, I'm do I I need to learn to say no now and I've been doing way too much. So in, in those type of relationships, how are boundaries used or what what's a way that a boundary could be used? And also I don't even want to just say friendship. I want to say acquaintances also. Yes. Yes. Because with family, there's a little bit of a thicker safety net of like, well gosh, it's my mom. But with friends, it's like, oh you know, we can be afraid to step on toes or offend somebody or, or that sort of thing. And so boundaries and friendship can be really hard. And so one of the ways that I like to think about boundaries and friendship is because a lot of people ask me this, like, you know, if I feel the need to step back from a relationship for whatever reason, either because I, I just don't have time to invest in this many friends or this friend is kind of a taker and I just can't give anymore. Do I tell the friend that I'm stepping back? And, and I think that that is a situation where we take it on an individual basis. This is a a Brene Brown quote, but, but she says, we, we share with people who have earned the right to hear. And the way that I like to think of that is, is we share in relationships that can bear the weight of the share. And so if you have a, deep relationship with someone in which there is a a pattern of vulnerability and trustworthiness, then yes, you can sit down with them and just say, Hey, I know you are going through a hard time right now. I, I get it. This is a lot that you're walking through, but I think that I am not knowing how best to support you or, or how to meet your needs. And so I want to be there for you, but I feel like you need a little more support than I can give right now. And so it might be, have you thought about calling a counselor, you know, because you can't be counselor therapist to, to all of your friends. And so, you know, leading with that empathy and that validation, but then setting that boundary of, I cannot be on call for you. I want to support you, but I I can't be there 24 seven. And so have you thought about talking to someone else? I think in most cases, it can be helpful to just begin to model the type of relationship that you want to have with this person. You know, we teach people how to treat us. And so if we always say yes, then why would they think we're going to say no? (laughs) Right. And so you know, if they, if we always say yes, of course, they're going to ask us and expect us to say no. So we have to lean into that vulnerability. It does feel vulnerable. It feels risky, uncertain, exposing. We have to lean into that vulnerability and begin to say, no, thank you so much for inviting me. I can't make it this time. And the other thing with our no is particularly with women, we tend to over-explain our no's. I'm so sorry I can't make it this time because my great aunt who lives in Michigan, blah, 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 blah. I don't have to give all that information. You know, thank you for inviting me. I can't make it this time. 
and and let that be it. We don't have to over explain our nose. So just beginning to model changing our behavior, which is going to make us feel uncomfortable in the beginning, because as women, we're kind of wired to sustain the relationship or we're nurtured, we're socialized to sustain the relationship at all costs, but to let our behavior model how we want the relationship to be, let the behavior model the, the boundary can be very helpful because some people just are not emotionally safe to have a boundaries conversation with. They're going to lash out. They're going to get defensive. You're going to get flooded. And so that's why we want to lead with behavior change, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think there are many of us out there that are natural born caretakers. I tend to be the person that people unload on, which is fine. And for my very good friends, I'm always there for them. And I, you know, I'll drop anything to help them. But even for myself, I ha- I've had to learn the boundary with caretaking that, you know, everybody's problems are, are not my problems. That was really hard for me because I enjoy helping friends. But when I look back on things that I've done in the past, I think I've gone above and beyond. And there isn't a friend that has ever gone above and beyond like that for me. And not that I not that I was doing it to get anything back. I think it made me see the uh just just how much I was putting in and and I don't think it's necessary. I think there are other ways to take care of a friend or someone close to you without going to that degree. I think that for women who are who have been caretakers their whole lives, it's hard. It's hard to give and it's hard to receive that back. You're the one that's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, everything's good. I'll, I'll deal with it on my own. And 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 so I think that's a whole other uh, subject is, is learning to ask for help and learning to let people know that you're in a vulnerable state. And by the way, when I started to do that with some of my friends, I started to realize I had some shitty friends because I was like, wait, 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 it's my turn. I'm going through something hard. And they, you know, they didn't really have want a lot to do with it. That's another interesting subject. (laughs) Oh, and I think it's such a big thing, particularly amongst women and in our relationships. You know, you're right. We, a lot of us are wired. Most of us have been socialized to be caretakers. And so or caregivers. And so the the dark underbelly of being a caregiver is that you feel responsible for everything. You feel responsible to fix it, to prevent it, to be proactive. And so we have this, you know, overwrought sense of responsibility of, well, if I'm not going to do it, then who's going to do it? And so it's taking that long, hard look in the mirror of going, whoa, am I taking the world on my shoulders? And that's actually not my responsibility. Because the thing that can happen when we feel over-responsible and then we over-accommodate is that then we always feel resentful. Like the over-accommodation train there is only one stop and it was it is resentmentville so so to speak and and we then we carry around that resentment and you know we feel hurt and we feel angry and it's just it, no no one is happy feeling resentful and and so it can be a very tricky thing of recognizing like whoa this is not my responsibility and so i have to really step back here And just because my friend is in the pit of despair doesn't mean that I have to jump into the pit of despair and wallow in the dirt with her. I can offer help, but I want to have that boundary of knowing where her pain ends and my life begins because they are two separate things, so to speak. I mean, I I know this seems like a very obvious question, but, but why did difficult relationships impact us so much? I mean, they're just so emotionally draining and, and, you know, why are they so bad for us? I mean, I, I, I know this sounds so obvious, but I know there's more to that question. Yes, absolutely. And I think we can all say, oh, you know, like you said, difficult relationships are emotionally draining. Difficult relationships are stressful. But the reason they impact us so much is because we are wired for connection. We are wired to love and be loved. We are wired to connect with with one another. We come out of the womb needing nourishment and needing connection. It it's biological, you know? And so then when we have difficult relationships, when we have difficult people in our lives, it impacts our entire system. It impacts us physically. It impacts us emotionally, mentally. And the reason for this is because one, a difficult relationship creates a sense of insecurity. It, It creates a sense of, Ooh, I'm not safe 
in this environment, in this relationship. I don't know when this person's going to fly off the handle. I don't know when this person is going to be in a good mood. I don't know when this person is going to give me the silent treatment. And so it threatens our sense of security. And it can, you know, when you're in a difficult relationship, when you're in an unhealthy relationship, it can almost feel like you're trying to sleep with tigers lurking all around you. You never feel at rest. Your body really lives in fight or flight because that unhealthy relationship is attacking our sense of security. Also, Difficult relationships have such an impact because there are so many layers to them. There are so many emotional layers to them. You know, we can feel overwhelmed. We can feel sad. We can feel hurt, angry, lonely, resentful, trapped, confused. So we're feeling a lot of things about this person, about this situation, and that that can be overwhelming. We can feel flooded by emotion and, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't know if I'm sad or I'm angry. I don't know if I love this person or if I, if I hate them and I never want to talk to them again. But yes, unhealthy relationships are genuinely bad for us. They're, they're bad for us mentally. They, they take uh, their toll on us physically. They impact every area of our life. It's really, really interesting. I know one of the things that I have noticed in my, um, I've been practicing counseling now for 15 years. And one of the things that I've noticed in this, please know listeners, this is Maisie theory. I don't have research to back this up, but women who were in unhealthy relationships, unhealthy marriages. So women who were married to alcoholics, to abusers, to narcissists. The thing that I have noticed in working with them is they always had so many physical health problems. And it's just, you know, they had digestive issues, IBS. There seemed to be a um, a larger rate of breast cancer amongst these clients than other clients. They had um, issues with chronic fatigue or headaches. You know, that unhealthy relationship impacts our physical symptom and, and seeps out of our bodies, so to speak. And again, that is just Maisie theory, but it is something that I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've talked numerous times in my podcasts about, you know, physical issues and trauma and, you know, how that all relates. And I think that I think that some people are addicted to difficult relationships oh, and they yes. you know, they don't know how to they don't know how to get away from them and there's something that fulfills them by having these relationships. Mhm. I completely agree with you there and that kind of takes us back to childhood. If you grew up in a chaotic home, if you grew up with trauma, if you grew up with someone who you never knew if they were going to give you the silent treatment or blow up at you, that is familiar to you. You can probably say, oh gosh, yeah, that's really unhealthy. My dad was really unhealthy, but it's familiar to you. Thus, you're going to be attracted to it. You're going to be drawn to it because we're drawn to what is familiar because what's familiar is comfortable. And so, you know, you try to date somebody who's really kind, who's very thoughtful, who is kind of steady Eddie emotionally, and that's going to feel really uncomfortable. In fact, that's probably going to feel boring. And so that is where ooh, women can really fall down a slippery slope if they continue to pursue what's familiar and comfortable and they don't take this the time to go, whoa, why does this feel familiar and comfortable? And does that actually mean it's healthy and good for me? And how do they do that? How do they learn to get out of that cycle? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And so I think it starts with recognizing, whoa, there's a pattern here in my life. There's a pattern in my marriage. Let me identify that pattern. Okay. Now where else in my life have I experienced this, felt this, seen this before? Okay. Let me think. Mm, mom, dad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and then there was that friendship in college. Uh-huh. She used to get mad at me all the time and then give me the silent treatment and I'd have to beg her back. And so just beginning to, to, identify these patterns in your life, and then to go the one level deeper of, okay, so how, how have I been impacted by the pattern? How am I impacted by the pattern? Yes, I get upset 
but I have learned ways to numb. And so that's how I, that's how I've been surviving in the pattern. I have started drinking more. I numb out with TV. I numb with staying busy and numbing allows me to stay in the pattern and not really address, gosh, this pattern is unhealthy for me. This pattern is hurting me. I need to make some changes and the numbing kind of keeps me from, from owning, like I need to make some changes, but I'm afraid to make some changes. So I have to begin to address my own numbing patterns. I have to begin to address my part. And what I mean by my part is not my fault, but my part of how am I enabling this pattern? Well, I'm enabling this pattern by the fact that I never speak up because I'm so afraid that this person is going to get mad at me. I never share my feelings. I never share my opinions. I never make my needs known, but I'm sitting here hurt and resentful and angry all the time. So I can only control what I can control, which is myself. So I have to start speaking up. I have to start saying no. I have to start asking questions and sharing my needs and so forth and so on. And so it's, it's identifying the pattern, identifying, well, what is my part in the pattern? Not my fault, but my part, meaning how have I learned to survive in this pattern? How have I learned to cope in this pattern? But now that is not serving me? And then what are the changes that I need to make in order to get myself out of this unhealthy pattern of relationships? And, and you know, really beginning to own that fact of, gosh, this is so familiar. And that's why it's comfortable, even though I can say in the same breath, this isn't good for me. And that is, that's a heavy realization to go, wow, this is familiar and comfortable. And I could stay in it, but I know I have to get out of it. That's hard work. That is mm-hmm. very, oh, hard, it's very work. hard work. And it yeah. doesn't just mm-hmm. everyone, it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> you, Ooh, have no. to, you have to <laughs> stick to it and and really do the work. You know, I, I, I tell this to I tell this to friends all the time. I'm like, you can't just, you know, I think it's easy for a lot of us to just keep everything in and and keep ourselves busy, like you said, and just pretend things aren't happening. The hardest thing you know, I, I, I've told this to, to resistant people in my life to therapy is like therapy is a hard thing to do. And to stay in therapy is a hard thing to do. And to be with a therapist who calls you out on what you do wrong is a hard thing to do. It's much easier to keep it all in and, you know, compartmentalize everything and pretend it's not happening, but nothing changes when you do that. It might change for a little bit in your head, but then it doesn't. So let's talk about forgiveness. You know, what is, what is, how, you know, where does forgiveness fit into boundaries and healthy relationships? Forgiveness plays a big role in boundaries and healthy relationships. And again, this is another thing that we have a lot of misinformation about forgiveness and therefore we don't, we don't really understand forgiveness, what it is. We don't know how to do it. I think for a lot of us, we see forgiveness as, well, if I forgive that person, I'm basically saying what you did doesn't matter. I'm basically saying what you did. It's, it's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but that's actually not forgiveness at all. So forgiveness, the way that I like to think of forgiveness is it is for you. It actually has nothing to do with the person who hurt you. Forgiveness is for you. It is to set you free from the hurt, from the betrayal, from this person who continues to have power over your life because they did hurt you, because they did betray you. And so I like to think of it as kind of cutting that cord between you and that person. You're not saying what you did doesn't matter. You're saying, I'm no longer hitching myself to this story, to this pain, to you. I am detaching myself and I am going to go live my life, so to speak. We can forgive without an apology. And that, ooh, that is hard work. That is really hard work. That's a lot of sitting with yourself and processing through. But we can forgive without an apology. In fact, we really have to forgive without an apology. And the reason that I say that is because if we wait for the apology, then we are continuing to turn our power over to that other person. That other person, and whether or not they apologize, is determining whether or not we are free is determining whether or not we are at peace within ourselves. And so we can forgive without an apology. 
forgiveness is intrapersonal. It happens within us. There are stages of forgiveness. I do not believe personally that forgiveness happens, you know, like that. I think forgiveness is a process and we work through it and, and it takes time. Forgiveness does take time and we have to move through the emotions that go along with forgiveness. We, we have to allow ourselves to be sad, to grieve what was taken from us, how we were impacted. We also have to allow ourselves to be angry, to be angry at the violation, at the boundary violation, at the trust wound. Both of those feelings are really important. And I think people can get stuck in either one. They can get stuck in being sad and grieving whatever happened, or they can get stuck being angry and they stay angry. But it's really important to move through both of those emotional experiences. And so forgiveness is intrapersonal. It happens within us. But there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is where I think people get mixed up because they assume forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing, but they are two totally different things. I can forgive you. I can even wish you well in life and I can go about and live my life. But that doesn't mean that we are going to be reconciled. It's two different things. So forgiveness is intrapersonal, but reconciliation is interpersonal. It requires two people. And so some relationships are able to be reconciled and some aren't and some shouldn't be. Not every relationship needs to be reconciled. Not every person needs to stay in our life. And we can experience that forgiveness and no longer hold on to that anger and hurt, but we don't have to be reconciled. And so people often say, well, then what does reconciliation look like? You know, how, what's the process of reconciliation? And so there are two parts, if you will, to reconciliation and both people have a part. And so One, if you are the person who has been hurt, then you want to enter into reconciliation already having forgiven that person, or you are doing a lot of work on setting yourself free. We can't reconcile and then forgive because we walk into the reconciliation with a lot of baggage. If you are the person who's been hurt, you want to walk into that reconciliation having already done a lot of work on your own freedom, on forgiveness. If you are the person who is responsible for the hurt, then you have to walk into the reconciliation ready to hear how you hurt that person, ready to hear their part, their feelings, even if you disagree, ready to make amends for how you hurt that person, and then ready to engage in behavior change so that you aren't repeating behavior that led to the initial injury. And so reconciliation is a whole process. And some people are, you know, like I said, some people reconcile and some people are not, but it is very unwise to reconcile with someone who is not willing to hear your hurt, is not willing to own their part and engage in that behavior change. Those parts are critical to healthy reconciliation. That's great. That's such a great way to decipher the two because I I think that it, it's confusing. <laughs> it really is. And I think forgiving somebody in your heart and 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 hearing forgiveness. You know, I've t- I've talked to women who are like I, you know, there have been things in my life where I will just never I'll never forgive that person. And I've said to them, it's not about you saying to them, I accept your apology or I, I, you know, it's okay for what you did. It's about hearing within yourself to say, okay, I forgive them. But how, what, what would be your one piece of advice for, for getting there? I mean, how does one, how does a person get there? Well, and I think it, it does require a lot of sitting with self. Um, you know, like I said, of moving through those stages of sadness and anger, I think digging through the, the relationship, digging through the hurt that was done, understanding how it impacted you, why it hurts so much, what was the boundary that was crossed? What was the expectation that was not met? There's a book that I love on um, how to heal from broken trust. It's called Beyond Boundaries. And it is my favorite book to to recommend to um, individuals who are trying to heal from broken trust and possibly reconcile with the person who hurt them. And the way that he organizes the book is the first part of the book, he discusses why broken trust is such a wound, you know, just explaining that. And then the second part of the book, he, he focuses on the person who has been hurt. And then the third part of the book, he focuses on the person who did the injury. And then on the fourth part, he discusses 
steps to take, signs to look for if the relationship can be saved and reconciled. But what he talks about in that second part, talking to the person who has been hurt, he encourages the person to do what he calls a relationship autopsy, really dissecting the relationship. And, you know, beginning again to look at the patterns of the relationship and beginning to look at your part, not accepting blame where there is no blame, but gosh, what red flags did I refuse to see? You know, like if if you dated someone and they always cheated on you when you dated them and then y'all got married and the person continues to have affairs and you're shocked, you do have a part. You don't deserve to be cheated on. Heavens no. But you do have to own the fact that, gosh, I did ignore those red flags because I really wanted this relationship to work. Okay, now let me go one step deeper. What was it about this person, this relationship that I was willing to ignore red flags that I knew were significant? What was it? What was the story I was telling myself about this relationship that I was willing to sacrifice myself? And so really just beginning to understand how you have been impacted in the relationship, what you wanted from this person what they are clearly unable to give and just dissecting that that relationship and letting yourself move through those feelings of sadness and grief and anger and giving yourself permission this and this is hard for a lot of women giving yourself permission to say that person hurt me when they did X, that holding someone accountable can be really hard for women because, because they can fall into the strap of, well, I did ignore the red flags. So how can I get mad? No, no, no. Both things can be true. You ignored the red flags. Let's understand why you ignored the red flags. What was going on with you? And you can be angry that this person has cheated on you. Both of those things can be true. Mm -hmm. That's great. Ah, I love your advice. I could talk to you all day. (laughs) <laughs> Every episode, I'm like, welcome to another therapy session with Lauren Wallach, a little step into my life. No, I'm just kidding. I, I really try not to make it about me, but um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, but you just teach me so much. It's so oh. wonderful. And so I would imagine you're you're also teaching many, many, many other women. And just kind of in, in wrapping up today. So, you know, we've covered boundaries and control and difficult relationships and what would you leave us with as far as the work that we, I know we did talk about this in uh, relating to the different things that we spoke about, but doing work within ourselves so that we can, at this point forward in life, create healthy relationships as opposed to trying to put boundaries up from negative relationships that we've had in the past. I, I, I'm sure that we'll make mistakes, but at the same time, you know, we're in our late 30s and 40s. We are don't have time for many relationships in our lives. I, I always tell, I just moved um, to a new area and somebody said to me, oh, well, where are you going to meet everybody? And I said, you know, I, honestly, I, I said, if I meet a couple of women I really genuinely like and they're good people and I feel that I can spend time with them, that's all I need. I have so many friends, uh, many that I don't see. So it's no longer important to me to be a part of a group. Actually, that was never really me anyway. But I, I hope that this isn't the end of relationships coming into my life and clearly I want to go into those relationships with what I've learned. So, so what would be your advice on that? Yes. I, and you know, what you said there is really true. The older we get, the smaller our circle becomes because we just don't have the time and energy to invest in a lot of people. We also become wiser about who we want to invest in. And so our circle does It's just, it's amazing how our friendship needs change, especially as we move into midlife. It's really interesting. But I think the most important thing that we can do for ourselves and for creating healthy relationships in our lives is really developing self-awareness. Self-awareness is just the key. (laughs) Like It is the key to everything. It is the greatest gift that you can bring to a relationship because when you're self-aware, You understand, you know what you're thinking and feeling. You can directly communicate that. You don't fall into patterns of reacting, you know, getting mad because somebody left a glass on the counter, but really you're feeling very anxious about COVID. You know, you're aware of like, oh, I'm feeling really anxious about COVID and we're trapped in this house and it's not about the glass and let me share what I am actually feeling. People who are self-aware, generally speaking, are open to hearing feedback. So they're open to hearing, you know, how 
how you're coming across, you know, and, oh gosh, I didn't realize I was coming across that way. Okay. Let me take a step back and let me think about my reactions versus my responses. People who are self-aware, generally speaking, give themselves a little bit more grace, which means they have a little bit more grace and patience for others, which I think you know, let's just be honest, we're all running low (laughs) on grace and patience for ourselves and for others right now. Another interesting side effect of COVID, but self-aware people can take that pause and go, okay, I know that I'm feeling this. I know that I'm angry, but what is beneath that anger? What else am I feeling? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling insecure? Okay. I'm feeling insecure because I'm doing this thing that I've never done before. So I just, I need to remember that I'm enough. I'm going to give myself grace. And when you take that pause and you engage in that inner dialogue, it is amazing then how it does create a ripple effect of you can have more patience with your child who, you know, once again, forgot to pick up their shoes, that sort of thing. So self-awareness is just the key to a better relationship with self and a more honest, a more grace-filled better communication with, with others. So that would be, that would be my big thing. Self-awareness. Great. Well, Maisie, thank you so much for coming Aww. back. I, I feel like this is not going to be the last podcast we're going to do if, if you're, if you're game. Oh, <laughs> I am always game. I love, <laughs> love chatting with you. I, I, it is such good conversation that I feel like we have. We, I love how deep we go. So yeah, thank you for, yeah, for having no, me. We have good chemistry. Thank you very much. Tell the listeners again where they can find you. Yes. You can find me on my website, MaisieRobinson.com. You can also find me on my counseling practice website, cultivateatlanta.com. And you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. And my handle is Cultivate Atlanta. And I post daily thoughts on counseling, inspirational encouragement, uh, encouraging posts, and I'm, I'm there every day. So you can find me those places. Okay, great. We will speak again. Thank you again. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners uh, for listening once again. I always appreciate you. I appreciate your feedback, your comments, your likes, rates, subscribes, all of that. So please continue to do that. It's very, very, very much appreciated. And until next time. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast, and please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>